I'm really proud that that's sort of the environment mm -hmm. that I'm trying to create. Like I want to create an environment that is accepting, kind, generous, loving, like. It's been a while since we've done an intro. Together. Yeah, you were missing, <laughs> on, oh, mate, I missed you on the last intro. I hate doing them on my own, it's a nightmare. That's not your fault, not blaming. Camping, wasn't There's it? There's no blame. Camping away. Welcome back to the Birmingham Food Podcast, Breaking Bread. This is all about the food of Birmingham, not about camping. <laughs> no. Although my camping trip was good if anyone's interested. Oh, I'm interested, Carl. I'm interested. How you been? Yeah, good. Good. Long time no see. Feels like it, yeah. Just yesterday. <laughs> Today. <laughs> Feels like it. Lots gone on. Obviously, you've got the the big thing you've had it out a couple of times obviously we stick most of it on bright breaking yeah, bread yeah. bite size now but yeah it gets on the newsletter a lot of it yeah it always gets a quick mention now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was very lucky the relationship invited us up to go and try crazy pedro's in manchester what's well, both crazy pedro's in manchester it's obviously it's opening in the 6th of june i think in digworth it's in the custard factory 16th of june two stories or three I think it adds up to four, because I think one of them's a split level. So it's where the medicine bar used to be. You know, it's pizzas, it's pizza by the slice, it's frozen margaritas, mezcal margaritas, beers. Open till, I think they said three or four a.m. every single day. Well, even like Monday, Tuesday? Yeah, every day. Oh, when he told me, when we were up in Manchester, he was like, work till four every day. I said the same thing, what, Sunday? Yeah. Monday, yeah. Tuesday, I went for every day. <laughs> it's like every day. Imagine that, you just go out and stay till four o'clock eating pizza and drinking margaritas and like well, on they're Tuesday. Like, <laughs> they're like really hospitality driven. Mm. So if you're in hospitality, if you take your payslip with you or if you get one of the keyrings that they give out to people, you get crazy offers. And that's not just on an industry night or an industry day once a month. It's all the time. Whenever it's open, you get a discount if you're in the industry. It's a great idea, you know. So many times, I used to have Tuesday and Wednesday as my day off, or Wednesday as my day off. So Tuesday, you'd break up, and really, for you, it was a Friday, and you were like, right, let's go, where are we going? And you're like, oh, great, I, f I found a pub till 10 o'clock, yeah, <laughs> or 11 o'clock, that's it. Now you've got somewhere you can go. Well, that's, I think the big vibe for them in staying open late is just, it's so people finish and they've got somewhere to go. Mm. I, if it weren't for that, I don't think they'd stay open that late. That's a cracking idea. But when we were up there, it was a Wednesday night, and we were there till about half two. And about half one, they were like, literally everyone in this bar now works in another bar that's shut, and they've come here. It's where everyone goes when they finish working, basically. And they're still serving pizza up until three? Up till four, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whole pizzas, pizza by the slice. So you can go to the bar, I think, like... If you're industry, you can get a pint, a pint of beer and a slice of pizza for a fiver. That's mental, man. That's, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's so good. I love the idea of that, though. <laughs> Just nip up and grab a... You know, if you're, like, flogging a little bit, everyone's getting a bit ahead of you. You're getting a bit... Oh, mate, I could just do with something just to tidy the gap. Slice of pizza. Yeah, perfect. it does. Well, that's how I've got through so much booze. Just having a slice of pizza every now and then. 
And the cocktails, if you're on them, they come with sweets and they perk you up with it. Mm. They keep you going. It's a very clever business model, to be honest. Nah, it sounds great. I think it's going to go wicked in Digbeth as well. Like, perfect for Digbeth. You know what? I don't think it'd work anywhere else. No, maybe not. Like, like yeah, not for, especially like the young sort of vibe you've got there. So there's obviously the place in Digbeth. I mean, Digbeth's got everyone in it now it's got every type of person but it's like perfect place like over the road from NQ64 which is one of my favourite places I love it there although it was a free trip you still loved it anyway didn't you oh mate it was wicked it's a cracking place really nice the company that own it they've got a few other bars in Manchester and we tried them out and they've got really good cocktail bars and it's just a good indication of how cool Birmingham's got that cool places that are opening up I mean, the only other place other than Birmingham or London that I think is particularly cool is Manchester. Yeah. Oh, no, Liverpool's pretty good, man. Yeah, Liverpool's good as well. But a lot of the places they're opening up in Manchester, they're looking at Birmingham now and going, hang on, Birmingham's cool as well, let's open up there. So, we better talk about today's guest? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're here. That is, like, joking aside we were saying before we started recording this intro that we did try quite hard to get this uh, podcast on the go we're real keen to talk to sarah and chloe from verbena yeah it was one it's been on the um burners for a while to be honest because i love i mean and you we both properly love verbena as a restaurant it's so good it's the it's the only middle ground restaurant in birmingham sort of yeah selling like british european just quality food at an affordable price yeah you know, the restaurants that are on every fucking street corner in London. Yeah. That Birmingham has literally zero of. I can't now remember how much. like two or three of them in town. What, three courses, 32 quid or something like that. I, I can't, I can't remember how price. much it was, but. Again, research would have been good. Very, <laughs> very simple. Yeah, it's just simple food done really well. And I mean really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the desserts. Yeah, the desserts are insane. It's alchemy what they do there. I think there was already a group called Women in Hospitality, but I think they've kind of opened the Midlands branch of Women in Hospitality. I'm not too sure how that works, but we do talk about it in the podcast. And they're massive advocates for getting more women into the industry and supporting them. They run like networking events at Verbena. I think there's one coming up next week, I think. Yeah, they're big on that. And- Rightly so as well. It's unfortunately it needs a push. Yeah, it does. It's an area that does, needs pushing. Yeah. yeah. It's a and shame that it does, but it does. And so. it's an all female team down at Verbena, just absolutely smashing it like. Well, I'd, I'd easily say Verbena in my top three restaurants in Birmingham. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hundred percent. It's my wife's favourite restaurant. She loves it there. Yeah, just awesome story and one that we're really happy to be able to share with you. So. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah and Chloe Babina. We will be in the restaurant cooking. That's what's coming up. <laughs> Good thing. You know, that's all you got to do. That's, <laughs> that's we're brilliant. very last minute with our organising. We've both been there. We've both absolutely loved it. Oh, thank you. Good. Really and your fun. desserts, just, they're crazy. Very, very good. We'll get to it, don't worry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stop thinking about it. 
someone who lets you do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Chloe lets me do the ordering. <laughs> Chloe doesn't look at how much I spend on Henley Bridge. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Chloe and Sarah, welcome to Breaking Bread. How are you getting on? Good. 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 Yeah. Good. Good to Good. see you. Thanks. Sunny day still today? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's probably going to be cold tomorrow and then for the rest of the week. Just started getting the garden sorted as well, so. And I adjusted the lawn. Yeah. Got it all nice, and now I'm not going to be able to get in it again for ages. Yeah, so it's like teased us with a bit of summer, and then said, nah, you're not having that. No, that's it. No, that was summer. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the most boring, but one of the most exciting things, when you can put your washing outside. You know what? That makes such a difference. <laughs> it's like yeah. the most, but you think it's going to be the most boring adult thing, and then it's great. It is great, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, half an hour, it's fucking dry. How did that happen? Yeah, it's fresh, <laughs> yeah. it's nice. You know, we use yeah. electricity that costs a million pounds. Yeah. 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 Then there's like bees on it and shit. Or bird shit on it. Like, that does happen. Yeah, that's happened to me. Never happened to me. Well, only once, though. Our neighbours do have a beehive as well. No, it really doesn't. Do you ever get honey out of that? Do they give you honey? Yeah, it's really good. Nice honey. Well, I was thinking of growing lavender in my garden. So the bees have that, and then they end up with lavender honey. I don't know how happy they'd be about that situation, but be tasty though. Accidental yeah, lavender, lavender honey. honey. Yeah, I've got mm, yeah. They that. love they love purple, don't they? Yeah. yeah. No, I stayed at a stayed at like a country house hotel in Wales by like the Brecon Beacons, and they took us round and they've got like ducks and veg patch and stuff like that, and um, they got three hives, and it was. It was time where they bring in someone to come and see if the queen is still alive and if they're going to survive the mm. next sort of season, like season if they, you know, survived hibernation and everything. And they they was telling us about how each hive had got a completely different personality. Yeah, they're mad. So then there was one that made the best honey out of the three of them, mm. but all of them were just super angry all the time so they had to put like extra layers and stuff on every time they went to this specific oh one and they had to keep it further away from the other two because they're just getting into fights all the time but the bees got the into bees, fights and they just and they were like oh but we don't care because the honey is so beautiful wow that we'll wow. go through it i'm learning you... so much about bees right now yeah. Yeah. i never coast, knew that coast bees. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's when they swarm or you see them just go yeah. up into the sky yeah. and it's like it's thousands in the sky just like a big dark cloud above the like, the garden it's terrifying wow yeah. you can hear it from inside the house mm. it's mental i made my way onto like b tiktok i don't know if you've ever been on there it's so great <laughs> it's like this woman in america and um she talks about she's like and it's another great day of saving the bees and like she like goes around and like looks after the swarms that oh is she the one want... that they call in for help <laughs> oh yeah because yeah, like her. you don't want your bees swarming you want them to be safe in a hive like making like homes am I safe and um she like goes around and it's like scooping and she was like and then I scoop the bees into their new container all the while looking for the queen and then she finds it she's like there's the queen <laughs> like picks her up and like keeps her safe and she's like and now you can see all these bees are like following their queen into their thing and it's like one of those that's like the weirdest thing that and it's like why am I still watching it but I can just watch video after video I'm just like oh my god this is so great and then it's another great day of saving the bees <laughs> Jeez, sounds like Carol Baskin. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> she's like, she's got Carol Baskin vibes, but like not quite as uh, catty. <laughs> Be. <laughs> we'll start at the beginning, like cool. we always do. I'll start with Chloe. How did you get into hospitality? Um, I 
God, how old was I? Like 14 when I first started. I worked in the kitchen of my dad's office and got trained by a really formidable woman who kind of taught me how to be clean and organised on my section and kind of really inspired me to get into it and worked in cafes after that and then went to UCB um, and then kind of just stuck with hospitality throughout. Was the office in London or Birmingham? London. Yeah, I'm from London originally. Moved to Birmingham when I was 18 for uni at yeah UCB. I did culinary arts management and then kind of went backwards and forwards for a few years and then settled here like four, five years ago. And yeah, stayed ever since. Do you like Birmingham then? I love Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it a lot. It reminds me a lot of like where I grew up in London, but Which it's just... That? Pardon? Which part of London? Uh, it was southeast, so like Lewisham, Broccoli area. And like, I think Sturchy really reminds me of Broccoli. But when I was a kid, if that makes sense, like Broccoli now is like very expensive and gentrified. But Sturchy reminds me of it when it first started. And like there was loads of independence and it was like really interesting. And the food scene was quite interesting. And now it's like, it's still full of independence, but it's so expensive, like in Broccoli. But that's what I kind of loved about Sturchy was like how like fiercely independent it was and I don't know just a bit like how much it reminded me of home and moving to this new city I want a bit of home with me as well and it actually seemed like the natural choice for that. How did you hear about UCB in London is it like that famous? Um, So I kind of decided I wanted to be a chef and then my school were very much like you are academically gifted you should go to university and I was like don't really want to but (laughs) okay and then um me and my mum looked into university courses and we found two culinary arts courses and one of them was university of west london and the other one was um university college birmingham and i was like if i'm staying in london i don't really want to be at uni like i think it's a waste of money so i was like well i want the experience of going somewhere else so i just went off to ucb and yeah were your family very supportive about you going into (laughs) chefing yeah yeah yeah. my family have always been supportive of it I've been quite lucky with that um like yeah my mum has been super supportive the whole time and never questioned it like I think the only thing they ever questioned was when I dropped out of uni and came back to work at a cafe and they were like what is going (laughs) on but (laughs) other than that um yeah they've been super supportive and like just come to everything I've ever done and I've always been there and I feel like pretty lucky to have that because I know a lot of people don't have families that get it. Yeah, especially um, if like a teacher was in the school are applying pressure academically. Well, like, yeah. Te- it'd be a lot for the parents just to say, no, you're staying in school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, my mum was really like, really great with that. She sort of, I think my teachers were very much like, you're only putting one university down because I like wrote off West London. I was like, even if I get in, I'm not going. Like, there's no <laughs> point even putting it down as a choice. <laughs> And my, my teachers were like, you're only putting one university down? Like, don't you even want to do something else? And I was like, well, no, you only get to write one personal statement. It's pointless me write, like me going to any other university. So I need to write it tailored to UCB. And like, that's going to be a very different personal statement to like any other academic choice. Um, so I was like, well, if I don't get in, I'm not going. That's that. Like, I'll just find a different path. I'll go to Lewisham College, which was like our local college and they did kind of like a food course there and I was like well I'll just do that then but luckily got in with my very very poor A-level grades. (laughs) What was it about being a chef that you like attracted you to the most? Um I think I'd always kind of loved food as like a young teenager and like as as a child and 
my I remember my grandma, it's like so cliche, but my grandma always used to cook with us and like she used to make like these amazing tarts and she can't really do it now, like her hands have kind of gone, but like she I just remember always doing it and I always had like an interest in food and I watched a lot of MasterChef and all the TV shows and I was like, I wanna do this, like this is what I want to do. Like I'm so interested and I think it's gonna be great. I remember the very first few series of Great British Menu and thinking yeah I want to be just like Angela Hartnett like I was very much like yeah these this is a really cool career path to go down and I really enjoyed like you know at the end of Great British Menu when they're doing the feasts and like in the big tents I was like oh I want to do that and now I'm like I can't think of anything worse like <laughs> keep me in my 16 cover restaurant and don't take me anywhere else but like at the time I was like yeah this seems really exciting and like I don't know I just kind of looked into the university like career and I was working in hospitality and I was like it just seems like what I want to do and then just never really questioned it I I can't think of anything worse than working in an office it's just not for me at all no but shit (laughs) in the same boat I've never worked in an office I've got friends who are like you've never worked in an office I was like no Never. I can't imagine walking, like working, sitting down. No, me neither. Like sat at a desk all day, just like typing away. Like no. I need to be doing something like with yeah. my hands. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you see how much I struggle with like sitting at the laptop. Like I'll be at the laptop for like 10 minutes and I'll be up and like off doing something. And then I'll sit back down for 10 minutes. And it's like, that's why I get nothing done when I'm like having an admin day because I'm like off and about going to the shop, going for a walk, <laughs> like chatting to Sarah in the kitchen. It's like, no. You need to be doing these emails. You need to be doing your VAT return. It's like, no, I don't want to do yeah. that. We'll get something for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember I did a college. I did work experience and I had to go to an accountant's. I'd lasted a couple of hours and I oh said, I've got to go out and get lunch. And then just, just went, home. went home. And I was like, yeah. fuck this. I did all my work Could experience in kitchens. Well, I'm going to get fired from college. <laughs> See you later. I'm yeah. Like every time it was work experience, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to a kitchen. My school like, what are you doing? Like, surely you want to go and, like, I don't know, do health and social care or some other stuff. And I was like, no, I want to go to a kitchen. Like, I want to be in hospitality. Like, we had this trip where we went to France and everyone else kind of worked in shops. And I was like, no, I want to be in a restaurant or a hotel. And they put me in a hotel and I had, a, like, the best time. And I was like, I'm, I'm so glad that, like, I was put in this hotel. Like, I just know that this is the career that I want and, like, where I want to be and what I want to do. It's quite unusual to be, like, that, like from such a young age like I knew when I was like 14 that that's what I was going to do I just love hospitality and I love cooking and I love serving people how about you Sarah um well <laughs> um so I went off to university in Aberystwyth what did you study uh, biology that's so why her cakes are so good I did <laughs> <laughs> so I did my a-levels and I went to good sixth form and thankfully it's not a waste of time because I met like all my best friends at sixth form and then at university so I went away and loved the town and I loved you know the people I met and stuff like that but I went from being fully in love with biology to just hating it um very very quickly and so I just yeah I had a bit of a tough time at uni like made friends for life and met my husband so that's brilliant yeah, so I just kind of got into a funk and I just really hated going, didn't want to go to my lectures. I didn't want to face like how much like I was hating or like even what I would do if I wasn't there and stuff like that. And obviously, what will my family say if I just turn up and like, I don't want to be at university anymore. And um, it kind of got to the point where I had to choose what I was going to write for my dissertation. And I was like, 
I don't remotely like anything, <laughs> let alone to dedicate. Like I've known so many people who ch- chose something to write about at the start of the dissertation that they quite liked, but by the end of it hated it. And I was like, well, if I hate it at the start, how am I going to get on? <laughs> so you know, we had a we've moved out into a house. I had people around for dinner like twice a week, and all I could see in my in in my mind was like, what am I going to cook next? what and I would sit there and I'd be like learning about ingredients and I wanted to have you know it was like okay who's free on this day I know this person doesn't have lectures on the afternoon like they can come around and like everything was like surround like completely centered around food basically and it was like okay we're gonna have this theme night we're gonna have this or before we go out or for my birthday we're going to you know I'm gonna cook this and it wasn't about going to restaurants and things like that but it was it was all about like testing new new ideas of what I wanted to do what I wanted to cook and you know and what I knew people enjoyed and doing it something like that about that I sort of kind of got to a point where I was like I can't carry on doing this like I need to so I turned like I drove home back to Starbridge and I turned up on my mom's front door at half past 10 at night when she was in her pajamas she answered the door and was like okay why is my daughter here from Wales? Um, and I basically just blurted out that I needed to leave university. Um, and she was like, well, you know, you just do your exams. And I was like, um, I may have already dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've already done the university. And I she told was... my mum the same way, by the way. I was like, mum, I can't go back to university. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and that was only like, I didn't tell anyone until I got a plan of what I wanted to do. And it was that, I, yeah, I needed to cook for people because that was like, the only thing that I was enjoying so and it was kind of like yeah definitely like my safe space was like cooking for people like um I felt more comfortable um and stuff like that and I just you know I'd have my head in like cookery books and textbooks and the internet and stuff like that about different things and like learning about how eggs work and you know different sugars and stuff like that and I didn't originally didn't want to be a pastry chef especially being a woman like you know, I'd be more likely to be sort of pigeonholed there. So in like at the start of my career, I was very persistent in asking to be changed around different sections because I also didn't want to miss out on the knowledge. Like that's what it's always been about. Like that's why I wanted to be in kitchens. Like I love serving people and I love, because I love being good at something. That is why it's always like chasing that. It's kind of like, it's never been about competition. I've always hated that. Like I hated PE because people get too into it. And about and I'm like, guys, it's over in an hour. Like, come on. But like, it was always about, you know, and you move into different kitchens and you learn from different people. Yeah, like learning about the history of dishes or ingredients or how, you know, especially like when the introduction of ingredients from the native places to where they are and how far back that went and why, you know, colonization or trading or things like that and how that... Um, got included so and then obviously pre-refrigeration and stuff like that why different spices and salts and things were used to preserve stuff and yeah I go down absolute rabbit holes <laughs> and then I'm like yeah I need to make this now <laughs> um yeah so worked in a couple of places that were good and then ended up moving to a place that was great and then realized that actually I did really want to be a pastry chef but by choice, not because I was stuck there. Mm. So yeah, and that kind of once you get into a job like that, it's um, yeah, kind of ideal because you get to completely nerd out. I was going to say, is it, just how, is it just how technical and scientific pastry cooking is? 
yeah, I mean, with my background and stuff, it's like definitely, um, I would say I'm more curious than some people about the scientific background of how a cake or a pastry or a tart has worked and how about different different conditions or methods and stuff like that affect the final outcome. Um, and that I find that really exciting. You can change one thing and you're like, oh my God, it's so much better. Like I've got to say, I feel like Sarah knows the most about pectin <laughs> than like I ever thought was possible. <laughs> like I'll be like, oh, I don't know why this doesn't work. She's like, it's the pectin. Or like, you just know like well, yeah, because, so much. So I found someone through Instagram as all chefs do <laughs> um, that has a newsletter, Nicola Lamb. And she has like kitchen, it's called Kitchen Project. And mm. I think she's, I'm not sure if she has her own like customer facing situation as well, but she puts out like a weekly or fortnightly um, newsletter and there'll be a whole lot, you know, when you read those recipes and there's a whole like life history before you get to the, it's kind of like that, but actually great um, because she'll go through the whole process because she will have made five different versions of a recipe mm. and then we'll, create a dish out of the final version so she did one for puff pastry and she did different numbers of folds and layers and temperatures of butter and hydration and the amount of water and whether it was frozen at any point or chilled overnight or everything and she did inverted and normal puff pastry and then you cut into it and you could see all the layers and how everything affected and like every week you get something landing in your inbox about that and i found her because i was looking for pectin of all of things because i was like there's a million types to buy mm. through suppliers yeah but there's one type in the supermarket what is the one that is in the packet in the supermarket <laughs> and what how does it convert to what i've got from sosa yeah. and things like that and it turns out there is like so much like whether it depends on how it some pectins need a certain amount of sugar to activate some of them need an acid to help them set and different temperatures and different like amounts. Some need overnight to set. Some will set straight away. Some can be used. Two different pectins can be used for the same jam. But if you're doing a small batch, then you can use quick setting. And then, but if you're in a factory making jam, you clearly don't want to be setting in your drum that you're making it because you'll never get into a jar. And it's a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> and it was great. And it was like all of my answers about pectin had been answered. <laughs> And then I was like, hey, I need to just read this every week and hopefully I'll finally get through the whole culinary encyclopedia. There you go. And then I can retire. pectin than anyone yeah. we know to go ever to. Known. She's ever been said in this room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, I think I had a question once and I was like, oh, I don't know. And then... Like, oh, was that because you hadn't added any, added any lemon juice or citric to it? Was it the cheese I was trying to make? Damson, damson yeah. cheese. Yeah, I was making damson cheese and I hadn't added anything to it. And I was like... Still pretty soft. It. And it's like, it's not setting. It's supposed to be like this solid texture. And I was like, what, what is going on? And Sarah went, what pectin have you used? And I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't like damsons have like loads of pectin in the seed. Yeah. And you were like, well, maybe it needs lemon juice to set. And I like added this lemon juice. And I was like, wow, you're a genius. <laughs> you're a wizard. <laughs> so yeah, so that's my massive nerd out done for the rest of the session. No, there'll definitely be more. <laughs> Where did like, you start doing pastry? Um, So I worked with Andy Waters... They did um, work experience from UCB with him. Um, and then I got offered a job and he was opening his new place in Resorts World. Mm. So he was putting together his team from people he worked with and because he had two places previously, so he consolidated them but then added on more people. And he didn't have anyone for pastry and 
he knows a few of the lecturers from UCB and he said they were like oh have like have you got anyone who's leaving but it was the wrong time of year like they'd already left and already got jobs it was like in the summer holidays and one of the guys who I'd just done a couple of functions with one of the lecturers like suggested me but was like well she's still studying so she will only be able to do part-time and so he like came over and was like obviously you know that we're moving to resource world like would you be interested and I kind of like was waiting for a conversation because I didn't really know where my job was going. Like I was part time and I was like living in Starbridge and I was like, well, if I'm only doing part time, I don't really want to be driving over to Marston Green like twice a week for mm. four hours. So then he was like, well, how like would you be interested in coming full time? Because it's really exciting and put it out like the plan for the kitchen and the restaurant and stuff like that. It was difficult, obviously, because it like Resorts World was not open. Like it was an unknown thing, but I kind of, so I weighed up how much experience and how much I would learn from a year at college at, or a year in industry. Cause I was already 24. I kind of just was too, really eager to get started. So I took the job there. And then when it came to leave, I got a job somewhere else. And so I handed in my notice, but obviously for the majority of the time that I was there, I think I was there for like two years. I was running the section solo. So that was that was really difficult. That was one of the reasons that I wanted to leave because, you know, you kind of, you worry for your two days off. Yeah. Like what's going on? <laughs> Have they run out of anything? How much, what am I going to come into? Stuff like that. And because it was just me, I wasn't learning anything from anyone. Like I had a great, like, um, couple of chefs that I'd worked with over the time there that had you know got experience in great places um and they shared some knowledge but I kind of felt like it was time to move on and I got a job somewhere else and handed my notice and then Daryl from upstairs and Barrett so um upstairs in resorts well, upstairs in resorts not not King's Heath <laughs> or, or Tom Shepherd yeah so he just sort of like um, they were opening the new rest- the new hotel restaurant. So suddenly he had no pastry chef. And they were going to be taking over the running of the pastry section in five months, six months time or something like that. And so Daryl came down and was like, um, so I've got a vacancy. Would you like to come and like join my team? And I was like, until he was on um, MasterChef, the professionals. Mm. Like I had no idea there was even a kitchen up there, like because he just because of the new restaurant and everything like that, they like more people had become like friends and were chatting and stuff like that. But we were completely opposing shifts, so there was about an hour of crossover between the two kitchens. I had no idea up there. I didn't really think they'd be doing anything exciting. And I went up there, and it turns out there was like a team of eight pastry chefs to learn from. <laughs> they were on Bake Off the Professionals, doing incredible like chocolate showpieces with an insane amount of stress to go along with it and the skills that they were learning like completely covered the whole breadth of the pastry genre and I was like this is amazing and the place that I was going to like didn't have anyone to really learn from it was great kitchen but I was kind of like okay well how do I choose so I had to make this whole like list and everything but um and they also work just daytimes as well and that was amazing yeah. i was like what what am i gonna do with all these evenings like signed up to a pottery class and you know had a pub night on a thursday and i was like this is madness so i was there until covid lockdown and then we got, we got made redundant sadly but that was an incredible place to work because as i said before there was like daryl and barrett had like this in- amazing um 
like pool of knowledge and like um barrett's gone on to work with like andreas and simpsons and stuff like that and he's got his whole like chocolate patisserie kitchen now and like the people that i started at the similar sort of time like they're working at the grand doing incredible stuff and it was absolutely lovely lovely place to work as well like it was balanced like men and women it was a really great place like it celebrated people's like skills so you know people it wasn't just being shouted at or told when you're doing something wrong but i did it was also not natural because you know the people who you are like head chef they'd obviously come up through hospitality and the environments were not like that it was a lot of like yelling and stuff like that and so you could see that they were made an effort to point out when you were doing like doing well as well and I thought that was just absolutely brilliant yeah and I kind of got made redundant and then the whole the seven seven of us all got made redundant the whole kitchen got closed down and I kind of I just say I think it's like such a tragedy that that kitchen got closed down because it's produced genuinely some of the best pastry chefs in Birmingham. Like, I just think I'm sure anywhere, we know quite a few, don't anywhere yeah. that you go to now that has a good pastry team will mm. have probably learned in that kitchen. And it's like, they shut yeah. it down. It's I like... mean, it was obviously benefited from, we worked under like a massive <clears throat> international company um, that it was a, a project for them and it wasn't yeah. to make money. It was, um, I mean, Sadly, 2020 was the first year that we were on course to make our own individual profit that wasn't coming from a restaurant um, that we like gave our stuff to. Um, so that was a that was a shame because we were finally sort of going to come to our own and we were going to have maybe a customer facing place and do some classes and stuff as well. Um, so that was a shame. Um, but I kind of got made redundant and I was like, well, a who's going to be hiring because everyone's getting made redundant or furloughed. <laughs> and also, like, I don't want to go back to a kitchen that's really broy and laddy and, you know, yeah. like Is that, don't... Is that quite good? a common thing that you've both found? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean... I mean, yeah. <laughs> Which bit? The broy or the laddy bit? Both. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I promised myself I wasn't going to get on my soapbox but (laughs) I think that within hospitality there's a lot of like what I call bro or what a lot of people call bro culture where it's like we're like blokes and we like supporting other blokes and we're gonna be really like shouty and horrible and we get off on being like you know really egotistical and it's like and if you don't work 80 hours a week if you, yeah, then why aren't you well, yeah. Yeah. like if you don't have you a, want to be pushing you have a day this off hard sick, why are you off sick how dare you have a day off sick it's like no you need to rest or you need a mental health day or you need a physical health day like that's fine it, oh, the other weird one me and me and Annabelle were talking about this the other day like the bro like the bro chefs that I've worked under really hate washing up gloves it's like Oh, it's seen as it a weakness. It my yeah. mind. I mean, my wife weakness. always puts washing gloves it, yeah. on. I never think like, to do it. I just like, well, well, gloves th- on for me. My <laughs> kitchen is <laughs> the first kitchen where there's been a plentiful supply of washing up gloves. And I'm like, it's not that expensive to do. And it saves your hand. It improves your quality of life. Like, I washed, this, washed up this week without washing up gloves on. My hands are ruined. Like, it's such a small thing, but it improves the quality of, like, everyone's life. And it's like, why is it seen as a weakness? 
to wear marigolds? <laughs> like, is it because it's a female thing? Like, in quotation marks. Just trying to show you your ad. Like, yeah. Well, I can take that. Yeah, like, don't care. Like, like, I know, because I don't... We still put our hands, hands in frying pans and next yeah. to a fryer and a blowtorch and everything like that. But I am definitely allergic to fairy liquid. So it is stupid yeah. if I don't <laughs> yeah. use... Like, that's not bravado. That's, like, it's actually... It's stupidity, Like, yeah. I spend my two days off just, like... Realising how broken my hands are. I was going to say, they're looking all right at the moment. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Tons you should of see them. Cream. I'm laughing, but like, Sarah's hands get so bad from like washing up, like, they'll be all red and inflamed, but they look all right. Yeah. I guess because you have been washing up it's for the last really two days. It's really great lighting in here, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's, little it, things like that that just nice. add up consistently. Like, I don't know, if you cut yourself, like, I, I, I like to think that we're quite, I mean, I laugh at, one person who consistently <laughs> drops things and cuts herself and she knows who she is <laughs> um but like generally i try and be like really understanding and i'm like do you need a plaster i'm gonna look away because i hate blood but i will definitely dress your wound or like yeah. if you need to sit down have a sit down and i've never worked in a kitchen where that's just been the standard like if you need a moment just to like collect your thoughts or if you just need a break if you need to eat if you need to do whatever you need to do just do it like yeah like i think yeah, one of the things is as well, like taking breaks yeah. is always seen as weakness. Yeah. Mm. Like yeah, you yeah. have it's to like, eat and I can work do, at the same I can time. Do it, like, or like don't have lunch. Which yeah. is like I mean, what other industry would you not get to eat your sandwich yeah. mm. at lunchtime? It's a yeah. very old fashioned thing. It isn't really it? Like, is. Old fashioned. Like, we know better we, now, like you We so do know better, but I don't think I think there's very few kitchens where it's actually implemented. They'll be like, Oh, we know better. We are better. But it's like, do you consistently, and like, I'm guilty of it as well. Like, do you consistently say to your staff, okay, you're having a break, like, or make time for there to be a break? Like, I feel like I constantly am like, sir, have you had a break? Sir, have you had a break? Sir, have you had a break? And you're always like, no, no, no. Or or I'm like, are you sitting down for food? And you're like, not today. I'm like, okay, cool. But like, I try and like... But you do feed me vegetables. I make sure I drink enough. So that is also That is true. That is Um, true. Yeah. I just feel like, why is it so difficult just to be like... Do you want to sit down? Like even in service, like we make time in service, like Amy, our front of house manager will often come in for a little, she'll, she'll only sit on the step, like she'll just sit on the step and eat whatever it is she eats, like a little crate. Always got a snack. She's always got a snack, but like she'll eat <laughs> it on the step and it's like, I've never worked in a kitchen where that's just the standard. Like she's never asked me to do that. I think she normally comes in and goes, oh, I'm just going to have my little snack now. And it's like, yeah, all right, fine, whatever. Um, But like no one's ever asked me, like, can I eat my food during service and I like it that way like I don't want you to feel like you have to ask to have some food ask to have some water ask to go to the toilet like that's not a thing like why do you have to ask to go for a wee like <laughs> yeah, yeah. honestly even school kids like that yeah oh, I, I just think just that go for one yeah yeah and like yeah and injuries yeah injuries. I've had to, I've worked in kitchens where people have like sliced their hand off which okay yeah it's, they've been had to go to hospital or something after work because it's not you know it's still bleeding or whatever yeah. and like places where like i mean the mandolin is usually the culprit but um it's like looking you know, at my hands like admiring all my mandolin <laughs> scars <laughs> um yeah and stuff like that and they've clearly got infected mm. and if someone dared to like have the next day off work they would not hear the end of it yeah. for six months or something like that. And I've seen people getting, like, really run down by that, by how, like, you know, because it's more important that 
they left them in the shit than it is yeah. the fact that you can see from their thumb halfway up their forearm where the infle- infection ends because <laughs> yeah. of oh, the yeah, swelling. That's... And yeah. it's like, were they supposed to just come in and do a shift like that? Yeah. Apparently so. And, you know, and you, and then that, that runs people out of your kitchen. Yeah. You're not going to... do that, but it's like, okay, you'd be left in the shift for like a couple of hours while they go to the hospital, get sorted. Yeah. And then maybe a couple of days or a few weeks while they get themselves sorted. But yeah. if they're coming in all the time injured, they're not gonna. They're gonna be like half ass in it, but and then they probably won't even want to be there anyway when well, it does yeah. get better. So well, and I think they hurt themselves while they're fucking around trying to. Yeah, they can't do it properly anyway. Yeah, it's exactly. hard for us because we're not. Like I've spent a little bit of time in the industry, mm. found it really tough. But from the outside, we're like, this is crazy. Like, why yeah. do people live like this? But like, well, I'm I think glad that's, that you're that's do, what but... I'm trying to kind of change through the restaurant. Like Sarah works what I consider to be full time hours, which is five. Eight hours, five, five shifts. Yeah, yeah. five eight five eight hour shifts a week, which which is full time. Which is full time, <laughs> yeah. right? So, but she does three days a week. So it's you're condensed hours. Yeah, exactly. So Sarah's full time hours are like what Wednesday, so, Thursday, and Saturday. Yeah, so two doubles and a single shift, <clears throat> and yeah, and I think, and that gives like I am all for that. Like it means that you know we have the flexibility. So we have Sarah in in the kitchen with Sarah and Annabelle and me. I work a lot because I would. It's my restaurant. I care about it. But like I was like, I don't want you to work more than you should. And if you work more than the five shifts a week, I will pay you overtime for those shifts. I mean, we kind of have the flexibility where we move them around sometimes. Like sometimes, you know, Sarah won't work a Saturday daytime and she will work like a Sunday, for example. But I think that really like it's a model that really works for us because it means that we've always got someone on call like you know, if Sarah's off sick, I can call in Annabelle who can potentially work or, you know, if Annabelle needs a Sunday off, Sarah can probably work it because we've got someone who's always off, if that makes sense. Like, it just kind of works for us. I mean, there's always me who's always there, but (laughs) I don't know why we haven't switched to that sooner. Like, in in restaurants, like, I've done it from the word go, but like, I don't, I've always said, like, I don't know why restaurants feel the need to have someone there on a double shift like mm. it doesn't necessarily need to be done especially restaurants that are only open in the evenings like you know you've got a prep shift why not have someone doing the prep shift mm. and i know that it costs more and like national insurance and tax and all that but for us we make it work like and i would be encouraged to see more people doing that like you don't need to work people 80 hours a week yeah like you don't have to have people rotated on for 48 hours mm-hmm. but then actually they're not 48 hours. Yeah. It's, you know, three hours here, four hours yeah. extra there, five hours extra there. And before you know it, it adds up to like 65 hours. Yeah. And everyone's just really Exhausted. run down. Yeah. Um, I like there are and- some weeks when we are run down because, you know, like this weekend we did Mother's Day and we all worked pretty bloody hard for that. Like it was a very yeah, intense but that's, week. You but- know, that's a whole extra th- extra element on top of our normal. Yeah, that's true. A la carte shift so you kind of you go into that knowing mm. but also i mean we wouldn't have decided to do it if we didn't want to yeah that's true it's the nature of the industry that it's going to be quite tough i mean it's it's hard to work out but there's ways of if there's a way of making it easier well a little yeah, bit exactly. easier for yourselves why not just do that well it's, yeah i mean honestly. do you think it's tough at the moment i think that's like the ultimate question i think i don't know you can be honest <laughs> i feel like i'm putting you on the spot but like I feel like 
I don't find it tough. Like, I don't find the hours tough. Oh, no, the hours aren't tough. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the hours no, is no. what I meant. Like, But, like, I'd, I'd say that whenever you work in a creative field, probably always is going to feel tough because mm. you're putting your heart and soul and yeah. creativity into it as well. Yeah. That's just physically doing it. And also, you know, you are physically doing something yeah. as well. Not doing it all by typing or anything. Yeah. I think it's hard to, like, if people don't understand it, but, like... Physically, I don't know whether I'm just like used to it or something, but I don't find it physically challenging at all. I find it very emotionally and mentally challenging because it's like, this is my baby that people, you know, either like or don't like. It's like holding your child up for the whole world to see and pass judgment yeah. on. And then, yeah, I think it's something you get used to. Yeah, staying on your I think, feet. like, yeah, like, I mean, I worked. 80 odd hours a week when I was like 19 and I remember coming home and like I lived at home at the time and was like cried to my mum because I was in so much pain I used to like sit with my feet in like ice water and then boiling water and then ice water and boiling water and I don't have to do that anymore and I don't wear particularly supportive shoes but I think it's just that I've kind of created a job where I don't have to be on my feet for that period of time like you know we start if we're doing a single shift we start at like what two three o'clock and then finish at 11 like it's not like for me at least compared to what I've been used to it's not the sort of hours that but I think it creates me. it creates a job for people that people want to come back to mm. I think if you obviously you get in these jobs where you are working 80 hours a week yeah there's got to be something holding you there yeah you've got to believe in the business or mm. what you're doing and obviously that's what keeps people going back to these yeah. big brigade kitchens and um, <clears throat> doing all these, you know, split shifts and everything. Um, but I think it just helps you keep your creativity as well. Yeah. Um, if you've got your downtime. I yeah. don't know how, personally, how people keep doing these, like, crazy eight hour, 80 hours a week and have got any energy left in their brain to come up with new things. Well, yeah. It's definitely the case. The happiest chefs we speak to are all the ones that are on a four-day. Yeah. They're only open four days a week, and they've got their break, and they've got their time with yeah. their families. Or they're always the ones that are the most enthusiastic about what they do. Yeah, I always think like I created this job for myself. Like I opened the restaurant to basically give myself a job that works for me because I don't do well with normal nine to fives. I don't really do well with a five-day week. I want to work a little bit every day, but like so, like on. I don't know, Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. They're technically my days off, but I work a little bit and I'm fine with that. Like, I don't mind. I like having the daytime and a Friday off and the daytime and a Saturday off and having a Sunday evening off. Like, mm. I have a lot of time off because that's the way that I've created this job. Like, I just mm. did not do well in yeah. these kind I of mean, very structured, ki- we, structured kitchens. We went to a International Women's Day event at the PEM oh, yeah. in London and we um, got to speak to a lot of other um, women in industry and we were talking to Sally Abbey who's on in Great British Menu, menu yeah. Yeah, um, in the final she's great <laughs> amazing we totally we fangirled because we found next to Andy <laughs> Oliver as well we were we on like, the table with all oh of the panellists and we were like what is happening but she, so she was telling us about how um, because of lockdown I don't, can't remember where she was working previously but she was doing, you know, 80 hours a week. Mm. And then suddenly in lockdown, she couldn't do anything. Yeah. And she said the weirdest thing that she found was that all of her vocabula- vocabulary like, was coming back. 
there was words that she completely forgotten about. She I did like A level English and she used to read like mad, but like her brain had packed them away somewhere, but I'd never had the spare energy because of how much she was working mm. to like put them into use. And there was all of this stuff that she'd forgotten that all came back to her because of she was suddenly eating some vegetables, doing regular exercise, getting some vitamin D from going out in the sunlight because she was in an underground <laughs> yeah. kitchen in London. Yeah, I've worked in underground you know? kitchens in London. <laughs> and stuff like that. And she obviously was like, I don't want to do that until you get put into a situation where you can see that how it has affected you in the mm. complete opposite. It's not just a two week annual leave. Like where you kind of go, oh, I suppose everybody goes back to work. Like It is like you really see how it's affected you. And then yeah. obviously she's doing, got a gig that she absolutely loves now that yeah. has got, she's got more um, control over what she has to work and everything and I kind of was like yeah I see I can see that because you you just you don't have any spare time for yourself if you're working yeah and all of those crazy crazy hours but that's something that obviously contributed to the whole staffing kind of crisis that that that's going on now is people everyone seems to be having a staffing crisis except for us like (laughs) No, we I don't. You've got a line of people trying to get in there, haven't you? <laughs> Pretty much. I was like, oh, I want a job there. I was going to say, I'm tempted <laughs> to apply for this job. This I looks just good. Think, <laughs> like, I keep talking to people about this and I'm, I quite smugly go, well, I haven't had a staffing crisis. Like, I mean, there are only five of us. I know. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I just feel like if you create a job that people will enjoy and go to and want and, you know, be excited about, you're not going to struggle to find staff. Like, every time we've hired, I've filled the vacancy probably the next day. Like, it's not been difficult for us at all and like we have only hired what four times <laughs> we really haven't hired that many times <laughs> there was you then amy francis jasmine maggie mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. annabelle like replacing justice six times um but i just think like if you provide a working environment that people and women especially are going to want to work in like you're not going to struggle at all like we had so many applications and I was like well you know kind of looking for the 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 best one and and I was like actually all of these are great like people say so many times like oh well there's a real we're really lacking in like pastry chefs in Birmingham I found one who was fresh out of like well not fresh but like she finished at the Cordon Bleu last year and she's been working kind of in other places since and like she's great she's really 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 good and I just think like this other place has obviously hired her not realized how great she is and have lost her and that's that's the staffing crisis like people don't understand how to retain their staff or look after the staff they already have they don't know how to hire for people that maybe yeah okay they do need to train a little bit like you know Annabelle's been doing it for what three years less I don't know. She's not been doing it for very long, like nowhere near as long as like me or Sarah. But, you know, she's still got really like a solid basis for learning and she's really excited to learn. And she's got these really great skills she learned from the Cordon Bleu. And like she wants to know everything. And that's all you need from a chef. But people are so like obsessed with finding this perfect chef that doesn't exist. And I'm like, if you're willing to train them even just a little bit, you're fine. Yeah. Like, there are trying to play devil's advocate to that a few times i've spoke to like so if you had like some of these hotels in london and there's mm. like they they're vast like the kitchens are huge yeah and they're open for breakfast dinner lunch room service functions events 
and then you know when you're already down a few staff yeah. and then you are like how to love you haven't got the time to stop and say well what would you like to learn today you know yeah, it, yeah. It, it's hard once you're already down to try and get back up it's, yeah of it's course really tough but then I think that comes from the management like that's where I'm kind of trying to change things is like at the management like top mm. level like you know I try and model the way that I want people to leave Abina and go on to other kitchens and be like I won't stand for this this is how mm. I want to be treated I was treated really well here or I was treated to this standard and I won't ever like drop down from it so like you know these big hotels perhaps you know I've never worked in a big hotel I took one look at a big hotel when I was looking for placement and said no thank you this isn't for me but I just think like it has to be a top-down approach like you can't put any of like the staffing issues on on the people that are working in the kitchens it's not their fault it's not you know yeah. anything to do with them but what's the alternative you just closed i mean some of them have like um well, yeah. michelle rude and they close they're not doing lunch service anymore that's true um i guess like you just kind of have to find thing a balance being, don't you, you when you're a kitchen it's a team and you understand if you what's got to be done if you're mm. short-staffed and you've got to step up and fill you know what needs to be done on the prep list but also you also want an environment in which you see that the jobs what the jobs have got to be done and if you don't if you're interested in doing something i'd like to think that you want an environment in which you can go up to your head chef and say oh next time you do that can you go through it with me mm. because i think that most people who work in the kitchen they're the kind of people that are going to pick things up by doing stuff yeah. quite quickly and then that also helps because then they'll be able to do the job next time with hospitality as well because i'd say in a lot of other industries if you are going to leave a job i I feel like there's a lot more uncertainty about finding another job like i don't think Mm -hmm. you kind of get it's it's great at one point because you know that there's always going to be another restaurant or another place and even if you're not going to be there for very long there's always going to be somewhere that will pay you for skills yeah and that is a brilliant thing but also means that if someone isn't getting what they want out of a job they're going to be more likely to leave because there will be another restaurant down the road that will take you and they will take you and the skills that you've learned at your current job yeah and then that will be left with a hole where you were and i think if you're not doing any staff retention then you're not going to get the benefits of those staff yeah absolutely and i think like coming back to what you said about what can be done i think like for me personally I own it right and how many owners do you see in the kitchen every single service like I think for me that's like the most important thing for me is like I'm there every service unless like you know we're super quiet and or like I've booked the day off and I think I've booked like what's like five services off or something or I've missed five services probably and, like, that but yeah like the whole year it's nearly you know in the whole year we've been open and I can't ever imagine myself not being in the kitchen and I think unless you're prepared to be putting in those hours as someone who opens a business and owns a business you can't then be blaming the staffing crisis on everyone else but yourself like not obviously well that sounds really bad (laughs) take that back (laughs) you can't like be blaming like the staffing crisis on like all of the other like elements you I think unless you're like in the kitchen yourself like or are prepared to be in the kitchen if you're short-staffed. I think, like, at that point, that's when you're like, okay, actually, maybe there are other factors at work, you know, Brexit at work, people not wanting to be in hospitality. And I think, sure, like, in the big restaurants, especially in London, like, yeah, a lot of people have left hospitality because they've realised that it's not a fun place to work. 
like for a lot of people work-life balance yeah they want a better work-life balance and Mm -hmm. you know I think if you as a restaurant there needs to be this shift in hospitality and there's been like murmurs of it over the last few years like but I think at the moment like there is uh, there are some great conversations happening like we listened to one when we went to that International Women's Day event about how we can start changing hospitality for the better and giving people that work-life balance that will hopefully stop this exodus of you know chefs in front of house and like really talented people like especially in Birmingham I feel like our biggest challenge is stopping people from leaving to go to London like Mm -hmm. I know so many really 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 excellent chefs that have just been like the opportunities aren't there I'm going to London like and that's that and it's like how do we stop that from happening but also how do we get people into hospitality in the first place and like there are so many ways you can do that like modeling to people that or like young people that it is a really good career it can be really you know it may not pay the best it won't be a particularly like profit profitable like lucrative lucrative yeah it won't be a particularly like lucrative career but you know if you're passionate about it the opportunities are there in Birmingham like we have the most fine dining restaurants outside of London and we have so many restaurants and such a vibrant food scene and people don't realize and they kind of leave and go to London they're like the opportunities are better and it's like I came from London to Birmingham, so. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I just think yes, I I agree that there is a staffing crisis. I haven't, we haven't necessarily experienced that in the restaurant, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. Yeah, we just haven't. I just had as many think, positions to fill. Yeah, because I just you can't also fit think any more like, people in the kitchen. <laughs> two people max literally yeah. can't get past the third yeah. person. Yeah, it's true. One member of staff per customer. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but without sounding harsh, we you got to look at the things you can control first. So mm-hmm. what are you doing about it? You know, Brexit, you can't control it. Yeah, of course. Somebody changes their mind, hospitality is no longer for them. But you can't why, control But why, but why is can, hospitality yeah, no longer for them? you can control what you can do. What, yeah. In your four walls, what can you do, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is, so obviously there's loads of different reasons why people leave hospitality. But if, when people are coming and saying, I'm going to resign, if they, the reasons they give if it's possible that you can be flexible, why not? Then why not? Yeah. We were talking before about the amount of people, amount of women in hospitality, front and back of house, they reach a certain age or decide they want to have children and they feel like they have to leave. Mm. But if they're not given the option of doing part time or if they're going to do a split shift at a certain time so they can pick up kids from school mm. or if they don't have any maternity leave cover yeah. or anything like that or if they can't leave on go maternity leave and expect their job still be there then yeah they will have to leave yeah because and they won't come back they can't they can't feed their back. kids if they're yeah. not getting paid or if you know stuff like that so that you have to make different plans and that is cutting out a whole section of your hospitality stuff you know your workforce and if you can't make if you can't do that flexibility for the people who are making your business viable yeah it's you know it's yeah that is your biggest best power that you've got is your staff and this is someone at some point you thought oh i have to have this person work for me because you hired them in the fucking first place oh yeah they must have had something you wanted yeah yeah and it's like i feel like that's your most valuable asset as like a business as as like a restaurant or like a bar or whatever i mean like it's your staff like they're the people if you're not working there as like 
just you if it wasn't just me my staff are my most valuable thing like I would be nothing without Amy, Sarah, Francis, Annabelle, Maggie, you know, Jasmine, all of these people that have worked at the restaurant, even like my friends who have just helped me out. We wouldn't be anywhere near the level that we are without them. And I think too many people take their stuff for granted. And I, like, I hope that I would never do that. I don't want to ever do that because, you know, we've all been in the position where we felt taken for granted and it sucks. Like it's horrible. It makes you want to leave and, you know, you don't get credit for things that you do. Like, I don't know if you ever notice but like I'm always like Sarah did this or Annabelle did this and I'm like that's like a little thing that I can do that kind of shows the outside world it's not just me it's not just Chloe Qureshi the restaurant it's Vivina. it's not my restaurant it's our restaurant like I kind of want everyone who works there to feel like they have the power to change things if they need to like if something isn't working for them we can change it like I'm very open to it and I think it's quite like I've certainly have never worked in a restaurant like it and like I'm really proud that that's sort of the environment Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to create like I want to create an environment that is accepting kind generous loving and I think unfortunately that does or unfortunately but that does kind of tend to attract women women I'm trying to think very carefully about how I phrase this so don't sound like (laughs) awful but like I know that I as a woman want to work in an environment like that I found that it takes a lot to kind of make me feel comfortable in a kitchen full of men especially when there's like you know sex jokes being thrown around or you know passing comments on female waiters like I kind of it takes a lot for me to be like okay I really like you and you're great I never want anyone to feel like that in the rest in like my restaurant I was like I don't want that sort of environment to ever come across like that and like yeah we still make sex jokes like kind of constantly like we still have that sort of banter it's not saying I don't want the laddie banter we still have banter we still make jokes we still take the piss out of each other but it's in quite a warm loving way and you know that it's never going to be taken too far or no one's ever going to feel uncomfortable and if they do feel uncomfortable they'll just be like like whoa that's that's enough and like they feel comfortable saying that and I just think like that's how we attract more women into the the industry like that's a question I get asked all the time it's like how do we attract more women into industry? How do we attract more women like into cooking and chefs and like savory kitchens? And it's like, you make an appealing place for a woman to be. You Tell them to get it out when they're trying to rip your clothes off in the middle of a kitchen and then maybe they'll want to stay there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's never happened to me, but All right. not to me, but there was a lovely job, yeah. a lovely game in one of the kitchens where they try and take your bra off without yeah. a three year chef jacket. Jesus. Whilst you're trying to work. No, but uh, yeah, but if you've got your head chef that's encouraging you on laughing yeah. it, then it sets a precedent that everyone can get away with it. Yeah. And like, you know, and you, you wonder why people are leaving and it's because actually the head chef the other day ripped open their top in the lift in front of loads of people that work next door. Yeah. Or, you know, you have to, as soon as front of house leave to go serve a table, you have to listen to all of the things they would quite like to do to the 17-year-old mm. servers. And it's like, no wonder... People are leaving. Yeah. Um, or like you, women are leaving. Well, like, yeah. And also, you know, yeah, staffing generally, not just women. Like if you if you keep going thinking, oh, if they're not good enough, they're not flexible enough, whatever, we'll mm. just, you know, we can just find another chef. Then if you think of them as disposable, then they're going to feel disposable and just leave anyway. Yeah. And go somewhere else. Yeah. And I think if you feel valued in the place that you work, you're more likely to put more energy and you know actually stay in the job 
and you think you'll get better workout from them as well. Mm. Yeah, if you don't abuse your staff, you might get something more out of them. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yara said in our podcast a few weeks ago, though, she's like, a woman should be able to just come in and be an awesome chef. Why did I have yeah. to try it twice as hard as yeah. everybody else? Like, and then, yeah, I completely agree. It's She said it best. So she said, like, you know, it's on whoever the do- dominant gender in that kitchen is it's on mm. them to kind of make it welcome into it and if that means you have to drop the bravado or, or, yeah like, but if you have to drop that then so be it like you know, yeah yeah think about what you're agree. doing in it it's a, it's a weird i mean i'm sure it happens in other industries but yeah it feels like kitchens is like a real yeah like, it doesn't ha- you it. don't have the people in management or above to stomp down on it there's mm. no you don't yeah have, there's no never any hr like there's never we don't any, have a hr i am hr but i am also the owner yeah and it's but like, there's not you know, you know even places that we won't name that have got hr there's there's no repercussions in a true. lot of places that is true. It, it'll just be like oh i was just joking that's mm. what happens in the kitchen and that's, yeah. that's what happens you know you and if you a, can't if you, you can't thicker deal skin. with it you get out yeah yeah, yeah. and it's, it's you that needs a thicker skin and it's mm. like well actually and it turns out there are places that aren't like that. And yeah. once you work in one, you're like, I, I'm not going back. No. Yeah, they managed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Exactly. I mean, yeah, when I worked at Resorts World, Daryl Collins, he worked in all these old school kitchens, but was determined to not make it like that. Yeah. And it was, you know, he had to put loads of extra effort into it. He wasn't just a head chef like in I'd worked in other kitchens like he spent more time and you know more energy in training and you know pointing out people's um skills and if you weren't doing well on something you know if you're really fucking it up it wasn't like made such a big deal you were never berated in front of the rest of the mm. kitchen you know it was always it was being private and it would be this person's doing it really well they're going to show you but then the next time you show them something and it's like it's not a big deal that you're doing you're not as good at one thing it's it's just that some people are better at this and some mm. people are better at that and and you, you know you share the skills and you share the wealth and then you all get great at something yeah i've tried to like really remove the word like you're doing or the phrase you're doing it wrong from like my vocabulary especially like after becoming i mean i hate being it but like essentially i am a manager like i try not to be like you're doing it wrong because I think that already it puts people on the defensive. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing it right. And also, who am I to say to dictate whether this is right or wrong? Like, it's just not how I want it done. Like, this isn't how I want it specifically done. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It's not morally wrong. It's not like, you know, physically wrong. It's just not how I want it to be. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if you put salt instead of sugar into something, yeah, okay, you've done it wrong. Like physically, <laughs> that's not how it works. But like, if it's you know cutting broccoli not the same way that I would want it cut it's like it's not a bad thing it's not like you know it's not the end of the world it's just not how I want it done and that's on me for not telling you clearly enough how I want it done and I think that's like one of the things that I've really tried to like implement is like no one ever does anything wrong like in the restaurant unless yeah I mean there's like the obvious things but like generally no it's just not the way that I want it done and I think that's like in my brain trying to like really make a difference in the way that I talk to people and the way that, you know, people react to things. I 
it's just good management now, you know, well, years yeah. ago that people <laughs> focused on like the things that people weren't good at and just focus yeah. on that and then berate them for that. Instead yeah. of doing that, why don't you just focus on the things they're good at? Yeah, exactly. And let them run wild with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that's know. why I let Sarah do whatever it is that she wants to do in the kitchen. I'm just like, Sarah's like, can I do this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Crack on. Imagine I know it's going to be great. Imagine going up to your pastry chef and being like, why are you, like, why can't you wash dishes as good as yeah. um, the kitchen porter? What's the matter with you? Honestly. <laughs> you know, it's insane. Like, I don't know. Yeah, or like, I don't know, like someone that's been there for two weeks just being like, well, you've done all this wrong. It's like, well, you didn't show me. Yeah. Like, you didn't show me properly. <laughs> Like that's not that's not the person's fault. Like you didn't. Also, on a on a boring practical level, recruitment's so expensive. <laughs> it's like one of your biggest expenses. Yeah. So if you can put more time and money in training someone, retaining yeah. staff, surely that's far better than recruitment. Well, exactly, and it's just so dull as well. I'm not being funny. Like that was like the worst thing was like looking for someone. I was like trawling through CVs and like having to be like, okay, do I want this person? Are they good enough? Are they do they seem excited enough and then doing the interviews I was like fully just having a chat with each of these people and I was like this isn't how you're supposed to interview people I was like yeah so like there's this really exciting thing that you could do and there's this really exciting thing and it's like at the end like I did get asked twice I was like Amy our front of house manager and Annabelle both were like do I have the job and I had to be like oh uh, I mean yeah you got the job like as soon as you walked in pretty much (laughs) it's just like it's just I find it really dull recruiting I'm just like I don't I don't want to do this. I want to be in the kitchen. I want to be cooking. And it's like one of those admin-y things. And it's like, if I can make my life easier by not having to do this really boring thing, I'm going to do it. If that means letting Sarah run wild on our ordering thing and buying all the praline in the world. <laughs> um, that's it was never fine. that much praline. Like, it was a normal <laughs> amount of praline. I'd like point just out. Just eye-wateringly expensive. <laughs> um, but, you know, like things like that, like, you know, Amy will just go out and buy scissors, for example. Like, I've worked in so many places where it's like, am I allowed to buy a pair of scissors? It's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> you don't have to ask me. Just crack on with it. It's fine. Like, I just try and be really, like, open and, you know, fine with that sort of thing. And that's about me making my life easier by keeping my staff because I don't want to be recruiting and I really don't enjoy it. So no. I would rather just keep who I have for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> But it's safe to say you opened at an incredibly peculiar time when most places were closing down. Yeah. And wondering whether they'd ever reopen, yeah. you decided to just go out and open a brand new place. Yeah, I did. We do kind that. of skipped ahead there. You're still skipping. But what, when did you decide you were just going to open your restaurant? Was it uh, you like, just had enough of every other kitchen? And yeah. then went oh, on. so. February 2020? It was February 2020. Well, uh, so I left my job at the time because I wanted to go freelance for a bit. I was like, the market's kind of there for freelance chefs like everyone's kind of looking if like basically I get told about an opportunity I can just take it and then you know do that I would like didn't take a gap year or anything and I was like 2020 gonna be my gap year it's gonna be great left on Valentine's Day I was like yep sick gonna do it uh and then I worked at Cork and Cage for a bit um just behind the bar and I was like yep this is great loving it like I have so much freedom I don't have to worry about anything and then it was like, oh, okay, the world is going to shit. Like, great. And I had like the whole of March planned out as, and I think April as well. Like I was going to work for someone consistently. And I was like, after April, it's fine. Like I'm taking a bit of a pay cut, but I can still afford my rent. It'll be fine. Um, 
and then yeah we went into lockdown and I was like well fuck like I was too late to go back to my old job because they kind of did a month and I like just missed it um I couldn't claim any like self-employed status because I'd been self-employed for a month um and I didn't have any work and I was like what the fuck do I do like I don't know so I went and worked for um oh and (laughs) I'd also just signed on the restaurant as well like I kind of had this idea that I'd be freelance chefing, but also have this space for women in hospitality. That was like my original plan for the space. Um, Cause I thought like, ah, oh, you know, I'll, I'll take this year off and I'll work on women in hospitality, which is, I don't know if you like plug it before, but like, this is my network and it's for like a women led initiative to kind of bring women together in Birmingham. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to work on women in hospitality. I'm going to run all these events and also work freelance to kind of fund my own life. And I've like got this space. It's going to be like an event space. It's going to be an office. Like it's going to be great. Um, and I'd like literally signed the contract maybe a week before lockdown. And I was like, ah, okay. Don't really know what to do now. So I contacted my landlords and was like, what do I do? Like, I obviously can't do anything because, you know, I don't even know if people are going to want to come to events because they're like the whole point of them was that you network, you're face to face. Like it doesn't really translate very well to the internet. And I was like, don't really know what to do. And then I was like, well kind of always wanted to have a restaurant so fuck it why not let's like let's just do that and like I'd done a couple of like successful supper clubs before and it was a bit like well there's not really the sort of food that I would want to serve uh, like I haven't seen it in Birmingham the food that I serve and I was like well like let's just like see where it goes and like my landlords gave me till September rent free and they're like if you want to do this you've got until September to kind of like make your mind up and I was like cool I'm just gonna do it like we'll just do it and like hope for the best and like that's kind of how I do everything she in my life. did not tell me this when she hired oh, me oh no I didn't tell you that <laughs> so I'm just finding this out now but it was <laughs> like let's just have a go at a restaurant let's just have a go at a restaurant I I had firmly decided when I hired okay. you I mean yeah, I had the kitchen good. installed oh uh, yeah so did you come aboard like were you the first employer yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah I <laughs> randomly bumped into so I think we'd met at a women in hospitality yeah. event before um the pandemic and then kind of forgotten about each other and yeah. then I randomly bumped into Sarah I was like running up and down to Searchy High Street doing something stupid um and Sarah was there and I was like oh hi how are you and she was like I'm being made redundant and I was like I'm opening a restaurant do you want to come and work there and Sarah was like yeah all right I'll let you know and then six months later yeah there we are she joined me in the restaurant but um yeah I kind of just didn't really have a plan to start off with I had this space and I was like I could I know that a restaurant would eventually work I know that that's a solid business plan this kind of event space for women in hospitality that didn't really have any like sense behind it was just kind of like this idea that I had um I was like I don't think that really has a grounding but I do know that I love restaurants and this is probably what I would eventually do I would eventually open a restaurant I just kind of like got sped up by the pandemic and I'm quite glad that it did because I got my like I got Verbena at a, a very very good price. I didn't really have to like negotiate at all. Like they just gave it to me, and I didn't have to fight for it. There was no one else looking because it was a pandemic. Who else was looking to rent a unit in a pandemic? Can highly recommend, by the way. No one else would be fighting you for it. Um, and then just like quietly worked on it, like pretty much throughout the whole pandemic. I was like, well. I've got it now might as well just you know keep going with it and it was kind of like buoyed by the fact that 
you know, I would have the space that I could do whatever the fuck I wanted with. I was like, I'm not constrained to someone else. I'm, I'm not having to pay someone else to be there. But I mean, I am, but I wasn't having to pay like another restaurant to be there. I was like, I can use it for women in hospitality. I can use it to do stupid pop-ups at whatever I want to do. Like it's mine. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's do it. And then kind of said to my, I remember saying to my mom once I'd fully decided it was going to be a restaurant and like had the name and like had the kitchen installed. It was like July and I went, oh yeah, mom, I think we'll be open in September. And she was like, yeah, fucking right. Like, of course you're not going to be open in September. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we'd kind of like everything reopened in July and I went back to working at Cork and Cage just while like everything was going on. And like, then we had to shut again. And I was like, great. And then like Richard, one of the owners was like, so are you gonna like what what what's the plan because like are you gonna come back here after or are you just now gonna be working at the restaurant full-time and I was like I don't really know and he was like well you kind of need to make that decision like you can't just keep just floating along and I was like I suppose I'll just have to open the restaurant properly then and then at that point I approached Rory and Farrah and were like do you want to do this thing together like I have no idea what I'm doing on my own but if you want to do something together we're both kind of in a position where we need money and I have this whole restaurant that I need to fucking pay for um we still couldn't eat inside could we no so we could do takeaways so we did takeaway yeah takeaway. from I think it was November we started doing that yeah. or October and then we went back into lockdown in October and we started then and we were like we're just a month of it see how it goes because they told us oh you'll only be uh you'll only be in lockdown for a month and then we all know what happened so yeah so yeah opened it really not the best time but it kind of worked out for me it's like very much my nature I think nobody was really very surprised when I just turned around to my family and were like yeah by the way I know that I don't have a job and I know that like I'm working on the OPM burger van but um I'm also opening a restaurant and my mom was like cool what can we do to help like are you sh I think the first thing she said was like are you sure and I was like yep and she was like okay what can I do to help like I'm not in Birmingham I'm in London but what can I do and I was like don't know but we'll find something and she made she ended up making like the seat cushions in the restaurant like all the um, seat pads and I was like yeah yeah it's gonna happen and my sister was like are you, are you are you absolutely sure and I was like yeah I think so I've got the space and she was like oh okay well you've got quite far on it sort of thing and I was like yeah yeah like it's just happening now and she was like do you want me to help design it I was like yeah all right and then she didn't I don't think she actually ended up helping that much but yeah, she was like... She gave you loads of ideas yeah, for layout, loads of ideas and, things for layout like and She's an interior architect. Yeah, my sister's an interior architect. Very useful. Um, and yeah, it just kind of happened like that. I was like, really not how I would recommend anyone open a restaurant ever again. Please don't <laughs> follow my advice. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I did it. And then randomly bumped into Sarah, took her for soup outside Caffinian and was like, do you want to come yeah. work for me? All of our interviews were in the cold. They were. Outside in a garden on a bench or something. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I'm shocked by that story because when you get it, it seems so slick. <laughs> I'm glad it seems. I feel like I shouldn't expose us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all Amy. <laughs> but even it from is. the outside she's... when it all came along, it just yeah. felt like, oh, of course she's opening a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I you feel were, like no one really... You kind of got to a point where you were like, I need, I want to work for myself. Yeah. You? Yeah. I was like, I think I would recommend that every chef do a pop-up because you will find out how much money you can make by working for yourself and well maybe I shouldn't recommend that please don't please, please don't do that Sarah, <laughs> don't, do that, Sarah. Sarah don't do that <laughs> don't leave me <laughs> don't leave me um but I just I did this one pop-up and I was like oh my god 
I've made all this money and it all goes to me. Like, what the fuck? This is like two thirds of what I make in a month working for someone else. And I was like, why are more people not doing this? Like, it's just like, and I was like, I have all the flexibility I want. If I can do a pop-up like this twice a month, that's my whole, like, that's what I'm earning by working however many, like five day weeks. And I'd be working like four days in the whole month. I was like, yep, I want to do that. Like, I want to just work weekends for a bit. And I, I'm fine working weekends. I don't care. And I was like, I just, this is just what I want to do. Like, I just don't want to work for someone else anymore. I'm sick of being told what to do. I'm sick of like, you know, making money for someone else. I, d- I just don't want to do it. And I'm sick of like working somewhere that, you know, isn't the sort of food that I would necessarily want to want to cook. And I was like, okay, well, fuck it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it on my own. And that's kind of why I went freelance. And then the sort of end goal of the freelance thing would be to then open the restaurant. But I just kind of skipped out on that bit. Skipped, skipped, skipped the gap year and... We often get told we get chefs listening to this while doing prep and stuff. You know, Do they? I feel like every chef's just like... Just prick their ears up. I'm not, I'm not saying any figures <laughs> of how much money I made. <laughs> no, don't do it. I'm sorry to all, sh- all business owners in Birmingham. <laughs> all head chefs are just like cursing Chloe. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> just all lost their sous chef all in one, one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why for Bina? Um... Oh, it's a little bit, it's quite sweet. Um, it's my mum's favourite flower and my favourite herb. So like there's lemon verbena, which is the herb, and then verbena bonariensis, which is like the purple cloudy flower that you see in National Trust Gardens. And we kind of had this running joke, me, my mum and my sister, of like whenever we saw verbena, we'd be like, verbena bonariensis. And like we'd kind of point it out to her. And it was just, it was like a little bit silly, but um, I kind of thought like this is the sort of restaurant that I want to bring my mum and my family to. Why not call it? this name and I'm pretty I can't remember but I think it might have been growing in my granddad's garden as well like it's just like this like little kind of family joke that we had and I love I now do see it everywhere I go yeah I didn't 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 notice it before yeah because it's really tall as well yeah it's like beautiful it's like such a beautiful flower as well and it's like like green with the purple clouds on the top and it was like it just seemed like the right thing to call it i think i was like kind of missing my mum at the time because i decided when i hadn't seen her for like months and months and months and i was kind of like yeah i'm gonna call it that and then kind of like translates enough that you know it's a restaurant but also isn't like super descriptive of it so i was like yeah it's just quite a pretty nice name yeah that is the name you said a couple of times nobody was doing your style of food how would you describe your style of food um i think i just hadn't been anywhere that did affordable three courses like yeah, I, I wanted agree. I wanted to go somewhere you know this is my mum might listen to this and be like you're chatting out of your ass but like I don't feel like my mum understands oh what's it called small plates like and I don't really like small plates I know that's like travesty like how can you not like small plates I like start main pudding I'm that sort of person. I'm a bit like traditional about it and I was like there's nowhere that I can go for a nice meal in nice surroundings it's not a pub and I was like, I just want to go somewhere like that. And I want to take my mum and I want to take my family. And I want it to be somewhere that's like a little bit more, not upmarket, but like a little bit more, um, what's the word? Like, it feels like more of an occasion when you go. Like, I feel like if you're going for small plates and sharing, it has its place. I love it. It's not necessarily my favourite type of food, but like, I think it does have a really, really like solid plate. And I, I think we're spoilt for choice on small plates in Birmingham. But I just never really went anywhere that did, like, here's your starters, here's your mains, here's your pudding. It's pretty, like, simplistic food, but it's just cooked quite well and it's still affordable. It's in a nice surroundings. 
we've got and it's really relaxed I yeah super like, relaxed we, we try and make like a really chill out like sometimes when you go to somewhere in which you get chefs with skills and it's you know all of everything is hand like ho- actually handmade yeah you know you know you get your bread and you get um like no, no it's not out of a packet or anything yeah but it often comes with kind of restaurant environment that isn't entirely comfortable yeah like you feel like you have to you know obviously hopefully when you're outside with other people you're in your best behavior but like you kind of have to have those airs and graces and it's you know you whereas we've kind of tried to have like front of house like service and staff be much more chilled out like it's not like you know they amy and francis like have a chat with customers like have more conversation you know and it's like even how chloe has like designed and decorated the restaurant it feels like super like calm and chilled Mm. out and you know it's just yeah really chill and relaxed but you're getting some really great food that you know is like we've actually thought like thought about it but then it doesn't have to be that you've saved up and you've you know it's you've had to miss out on something else to go you can like obviously it depends on your like household income or whatever but it can be that you decide that weekend you're going to go out for a meal of a bino and it's not like a massive dent in your thing mm. if you want to go and have you know um just have a nice evening out mm. or something um and it was kind of also one thing we talk about a lot is that when you work in hospitality um a lot of the places that are banging out this absolutely great food it's out of reach for people who work in hospitality yeah like you have to save and it's a massive thing just for one night yeah going to someone somewhere amazing if they've got a star or not you know and it's kind of like it's a big sacrifice to make you're gonna have a great time and you're gonna love the food but it is catered it is catered to those people that are have got loads more disposable income not your people commie chefs obviously Mm. you know and stuff like that and i think that's a shame sometimes and i know a lot of people i've seen quite a few people this year they're having hospitality nights or hospitality tables Mm. i think that's really great it's still 250 pounds yeah but it's 250 instead of 450 yeah and i think it's yeah yeah i think that's a shame i've often thought that is that you know you sit in a wonderful place but no one who's training to be a chef would ever be able to afford a drink there let alone go out for dinner so the restaurant that i worked in for my placement and like i absolutely loved this restaurant and we will probably go quite soon but we were talking about going and um i remember saying ah you know i'm 26 and i was like i want it to be for my 30th like i want to go there for my 30th birthday and i want to like have the full works and i'll start saving now because it's so expensive my friend was like but it's going to be probably twice as much in four years time you do realize that and i was like fuck okay i need to go now then like it'll be a lot of money now but i can save up for that and i was like then i was thinking about and i was like I worked in this restaurant for a year and I never ate there. And I am thinking about having to save up in order to eat there. Mm. And it just blows my mind. I'm like, you know, how many places are there that are just out of reach for your average, you know, hospitality person? And, you and know, obviously they have a place because they're, they're that expensive because you've got so many staff. Yeah. And you've got so many courses you've got and you such can a afford mass- to like look for like yeah. single origin things. You've got a massive brigade yeah. because to do that amount of prep 
for each element that's going on in the yeah. dish and obviously you know the um surroundings and the ingredients yeah. and everything like that but i think there is a gap yeah in the you know the price structure yeah. for some like home like handmade food yeah that isn't out of reach for hospitality yeah and i remember saying like when i was working at this great restaurant in london i was like I think I was talking to my mum about it and I was like, I really want to do a restaurant that's like fine dining in quotation marks, but isn't the same amount of money. Like I want it to have the principles of fine dining, but I don't want it to have like the multi-course tasting menu like that. I know that that's like out of reach for some people, even just physically, like you can't physically eat a full like tasting menu, but also like the budget, like I don't want it to feel like, you know, you're having to save up and save up in order to go there. I want it to be like more of a kind of middle ground of, you know, you're spending probably what, like 100, 120 quid at ours, like on like between two, sorry, not each, yeah. between yeah. two. <laughs> Imagine that, like, oh yeah, we're so affordable. You have to spend 120 pounds each with us. Um, but I think like for me, like that's quite a good middle ground. Like it's not somewhere I'd go to every week, but you know, maybe I'd go there once a month or if you know i had family coming up i'd I'd take them there because you know it is still within a a good budget but there's like so many little things that i picked up like my background is almost entirely well it's like quite hilarious like entirely michelin star and fine dining and then also cafes like (laughs) there was no in between it was just like michelin star cafe fine dining cafe and i was like (laughs) okay cool (laughs) um but like there's loads of stuff that you pick up from working in fine dining and michelin star restaurants that you can just introduce like the one that I worked in in London kitchen table they've now got two stars um I will never forget like uh Sandia she's the like other owner so it's James and Sandia who own it and Sandia once said like oh I always walk like I'm a ballerina and I said that to Amy recently I was like yeah I don't know if you ever noticed but like I try and float around the restaurant like so that you're like not in people's way and like you're not intrusive and I don't know, it's kind of like one of those things of the way that you hold yourself and like the way that you kind of walk around. I was like, I don't ever want to like stomp through the restaurant or run through the restaurant. Like, and like even with the food, like we buy pretty much nothing in order to like make the menu. Like pretty, I'd say probably like 90% of what we have on the menu is completely homemade. Like I feel like I've been to like places that charge the same amount as us. Like you can go to, you know, a shit restaurant in central London, you'll probably get charged 35 pounds and it's all come out of a packet. And I'm like, especially our pudding section like oh my god i could go on about the pudding se- section forever but i was like you go to a miller and car and spend 120 oh well, yeah exactly yeah. and it's like i don't i think you'll struggle to find somewhere and like my, my friend said this to me the other day like you're sh- i think your puddings are the best puddings in birmingham and i was like what like no no no, no. like surely that, not and then i was thinking about it and i was like actually the only other two members of staff that are in the kitchen are both pastry chefs um like i'm the only one who's not I know nothing about pastry. Um, Makes a great birthday cake. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I know nothing about pastry. And I, I kind of like decided that I wanted to have pastry chefs because I've been to so many great restaurants and the food's been incredible. And like, you know, you'll you have like these great breads and like the starter and the main. It'll be amazing. And you get to pudding. It's like chocolate mousse. And I'm like, ah, oh. like there's nothing wrong with chocolate mousse, but it's just so boring. Like with some shortbread on the side. Yeah. Or like lemon pasta. I mean, we have put lemon pasta on the menu actually. But like <laughs> on a Sunday, Sunday crowd pleaser. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's a good Sunday like, for day. Or I don't know, like lemon pasta, or it's like a brownie, and I'm like, oh, they're just so dull. Like I'm such a pudding person that I was like, I knew that I wanted our pudding section to be 
great like i'm like really really good um and i, I just feel like that's such a, something that's like so unique to us like i think more like more work goes into each of the puddings and goes into the whole of the rest of the menu like sarah is so well and annabelle are so like good at what they do and so talented and creative and i'm like there's nowhere that i've eaten that's like this like where the puddings are just as good if not better than the like savory food and i think they just get overlooked so often yeah but also i have worked in places in which you feel like you're on a pastry section but it's sort of just the last thought mm. like if no one like they put in loads of effort and loads of staff mm. into starters hot starters cold starters yeah mains even vegetarian and then it's just sort of like oh you know not everyone will order that so yeah or it doesn't really matter like or I don't know. I don't even know really why. I think maybe because they I mean, don't have the in short of supply. Yeah, I think maybe because people who are writing them don't have an insight into, um, like pastry skills. They don't mm. even. It doesn't even pass their mind about what they're going to put on the menu. It's just like because they don't have the skills or the recipes in their head to sort of put together a dessert that's you know a bit more interesting. Yeah. Or, or after a couple of years of working, like in kitchens like that where they don't really care about pastry you kind of want to be like when you've got the opportunity and the license to go and do that and make what you want and put all the elements you want on and you know and sort of create your vision of what you think of uh, this dessert should be I think then you kind of let yourself do that a bit more um Mm -hmm. to sort of make up for all this (laughs) rubbish (laughs) like ones you are forced to plate <laughs> yeah so like, we um we I, switched like in was it january or february we switched to three course i don't know it was this year we switched over to three course we used to be two you could either have two courses or three courses mm. and we found that like because um the puddings were on a separate menu people weren't ordering it and i was like they need to be having the puddings because they are the best thing about this restaurant. Like, I feel sorry for those people yeah, when they have the two. and me. Like, <laughs> when it's like, oh, they're not having, like, Amy would come in and be like, they're not having puddings. I'm like, oh, like, they're missing out. Like, they're so good. They're so interesting. They're so, like, well thought out and, like, well, well done. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, I, I could just be saying that because it's my restaurant, but I genuinely believe it. Like, I could never do anything like that. I can make a chocolate mousse. If Sarah wasn't with me, you'd be having chocolate mousse and probably lemon posset. Like, that's what I'd do. But, like... But that's the thing is we have written a menu, mm. a three-course menu, with yeah. the intention of people having the three courses. Yeah. And, you know, some great wines or drinks to go with it. So it is a kind of a bit of a... You kind of feel it's a bit of a shame when... They don't The have... people have chosen to come to you, visit you, like, don't get the full experience. Yeah. Mm. Um... I mean, I'm the same at home. If someone says they don't want pudding, I'm like, take it home with you. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, no. here is some Tupperware. Please take <laughs> take my pudding and my Tupperware. Please take my Tupperware. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I think... I think it's just like from... I mean, I think my res- like the restaurant is so personal. Like it's everything that I want when I go out. Mm. Like, you know, I want to have some nice food and then I want a great pudding. Like, I'm not even kidding. I probably have pudding with every meal like breakfast yeah i'll have a bit of pudding with that thank you <laughs> oh, i've had breakfast pudding in the past. oh it's the best early it's bird. So... Definitely oh have. my god so i've just moved to like just around the corner from early bird and they keep oh. saying like oh we need to get a black card you're in all the time i was like yeah i know, I know. <laughs> like we go for brunch i'm like should we have 
pudding cake yes, as well. There yeah. are... And then cakes to take away as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm always found finding half-eaten cakes or pastries yeah. around the place from early bird usually or 10-4. Or like... Yeah. Yeah, because I like I'll get it home and I'm like they're always too big. I think that's like not even a criticism, but like they're too big for me to eat in one sitting. So I'm like, oh, I'll just take the rest of it with me. And then I forget about it and I'm like, oh, but it's still good. It's still good. I will still eat that in like three hours time. Like a munched cruffin, like some <laughs> like, <and> I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, just found yeah. like in a cupboard somewhere. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, like I just knew that like puddings were like something that I really wanted to implement and have something really good and then bumping into Sarah randomly on Sturgeon High Street when I was running around um just kind of sealed it for me I was like I I just knew that that was what I wanted to happen I wanted Sarah to work at the restaurant and I wanted her to do her amazing puddings and then I wanted anyone else who worked there to also be doing amazing puddings as well so would you ever do a night of just puddings you can have three course puddings I was like someone suggested it the other day and I was like we could but I feel like whenever you go to anything like that you always come out feeling a bit sick and I was like, that's not the intention. <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. Yeah. No, I just want four puddings then. Really? <laughs> all right, next time you come. Four puddings. <laughs> next time you come, you can have all of them. I might mix, <laughs> miss the star and just go for main and then a couple of puddings. Yeah, yeah. do. Do you have a couple of regulars that like, like Manny, who always, oh, yeah, yeah. if there are three puddings on and there's two of them, she'll always order three. Yeah. And even when, um, like after Christmas, when we... Um, went to two puddings and then incorporate the cheese onto the menu as well um she would still order three but have two of the same type <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. um she's a very big pudding fan yeah that, so um, that's the thing i feel like if you're a pudding fan you are a pudding mm-hmm. fan like if you like you're either gonna have it and be excited about it or it's just gonna be shit and you're not gonna have it so i was like i never want it to be shit and you're not gonna have it like it's always gotta be great so yeah, that was kind of like the pudding, the pudding journey. Please come to the restaurant <laughs> and eat our puddings because they're fucking great. <laughs> there's no new events on the horizon. I was going to say, if there's anything you want to bring up, now's the time. No, never anything I want to bring up. Can't announce the pudding night then. Mm, we'll think about it. We'll think about it. If there, are, if there are any women in hospitality that want to meet other women in hospitality. Oh, yeah, we should probably talk then, about women in hospitality yeah. very briefly. Um, yeah, so it's a network that I set up um, after kind of realising that there were all these women in Birmingham that I didn't know and all the men knew each other. And I was like, how, how, how do we make all the women know each other? Um, and then I met people in it and it just kind of cemented the idea that, yes, we need to have more women networking mm. and getting to know each other. And I'm not even kidding. Everyone that I know now is because of women in hospitality. I know Sarah. I know my group of friends. I know um, my housemate. I know my partner. Like, literally everyone that I know is through the network and I was like that is that blows my mind I mean I thought about the other day I was like that's insane like how how did this tiny little network of like 100 people and then I looked on the Instagram and I was like oh because it's like a thousand people now like (laughs) how did that happen and I'm not even really active on it like I'm so bad at keeping it updated um yeah so it's like a network we are trying to run events while also running a restaurant it's not going very well but I am, I feel like I say that every month. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try and do an event this week. And then the month gets away from me. I'm like, oh, okay, well, no events happen this month, I guess. We'll just wait till like April. We've done some, like some people we've met and everything yeah. through that. Like I've been able to do pop-ups yeah, with us true. and stuff like that. So that's nice. Yeah. And um, it's, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be like, you know, available. You know, people still message me on the, like on it saying, do you know someone who can do this, someone who can do that? And I'm like, yes, I will always help you. Um... 
so I kind of want like it's always like in the back of my mind like I want to get it back up and running I want to get it back up and running and it's just finding the time but I think now that we've got Annabelle who works a little bit more I've had the time to kind of work on that alongside it that being said if anyone wants to help me with women in hospitality who listens to the podcast please (laughs) send me an email but yeah like it's it's kind of events where you get to know other women working in industry kind of talk about any issues that you might have it's like a very safe space like you know we don't I don't try and deal with you know like harassment or anything like that if you want to talk about it you can and I can signpost you to the right place but yeah it's like mostly a very positive thing about kind of getting to know the really quite wonderful women that we have in Birmingham and promoting them and like shining a spotlight on it and I think it's kind of getting there with that like it's kind of changing the scene a little like bit by bit and getting there with kind of showing the people of Birmingham what the women of Birmingham have to offer if that makes sense like there's so many female chefs and we don't know about them and that's kind of what women hospitality is for so I'll put the links to all of like um, the socials probably the best place Instagram mm-hmm. probably the best uh, hmm. not necessarily for women in hospitality I think the website's better for women in website. hospitality I'm better so, at keeping that updated I'll, so I'll put all the links yeah. in there yeah, yeah I'll yeah, put yeah. everything in the show notes and on the website and sporadic on the oh sorry I've been away for so long on the women <laughs> in hospitality Instagram which <laughs> I think I people understand you know when yeah. you've got business business yeah. and the pandemic but yeah, that'd be great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's anything we can help like that. Yeah, we're really behind that kind of thing. But amazing. I feel like we've done all the talking. I feel like when we listen to like Rory and Fabrizio, it's at least like a little <laughs> bit of talking from the other side. We've just been like, <laughs> no, it's a dream. That is the like yeah. less talking with the better. <laughs> oh, dream job. Sit here and put the mics on and just sit back then. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope we've been entertaining. <laughs> no, it's been brilliant. Honestly, we loved having you on. Yeah. Um, you just got Carl does a little thing at the end where mm-hmm. uh, just for a bit of fun, really, just yeah. leave on a good note. Yeah, Amazing. just to learn a, a bit more about you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying it now. They're never quick fire. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry. they never are. He just does a few general questions about yeah. everything. So. What's your favourite TV show? Um, you go first. Oh, for rewatchability, uh, Star Trek. <laughs> And I'm surprised that wasn't like your first answer. I don't know. I also love Fringe, which is a sci-fi from yeah. I used to watch 2005 that. 2010. You like that's the most as well. depressing ending as well. So that was, yeah, that was very sad. But the bit when he's it's it, it's sad because it's so great. Like yeah. the bit where he sat in the car in the desolate thing. That was great. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm really really enjoying Ted Lasso at the moment. It is the most wholesome thing I've yeah. watched in a very is that long the one time. Kerry told us to watch. Yes. Side watching, have you watched Staffless Flats? Oh, all of my I've friends have. I've literally just started watching it. I'm on the second series. It's so funny. Wow. Yeah, they they all, and they forget that we haven't watched it and yeah. keep sending us <laughs> memes. <laughs> and we're like, no, don't get this. Um, it's like an all time classic that's just, it's still getting done. And oh, anyone that's not watched it, I feel so bad that I have only just started watching it. Like, yeah, I haven't seen it. But apparently, there was one character that really reminds my friends of one of our other friends. Yeah. Um, so I'm wor- I don't know whether that's a good reason to watch it or bad <laughs> so I'll just only see that so. wow. yeah. um, that's mine Mine, I think for rewatchability is Chewing Gum like um, Michaela Cole Co- I don't know um, yeah. it's like set on a council estate in London and it just it's just great like, yeah it's very funny yeah it's so funny and it just like reminds me of growing up like I didn't grow up on a council estate but I went to school where a lot of like the girls grew up on like grew up on the states and yeah it just reminds me of like being at home 
But she's so great at just putting the tragic and the comedy yeah, all into yeah, one yeah, little yeah. space. Yeah, 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 so good. I found, I found the second one that she did, um, This May Destroy You, or like I May Destroy You, I found that like quite hard to watch. But like, yeah, that was. Chewing Gum is absolutely great. And like anything that Phoebe Waller-Bridge has done, I just absolutely love. Like I think her sense of humour is so dry and so incredible. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's mine. Favourite movie? Stardust. Really? Stardust. Because I feel like you can just... It does not matter how many times you watch it. It's just still great and you forget all of the dimensions of it. Yeah. And it's just brilliant. I mean, it's not like super like thought-provoking no. or anything. <laughs> but just... Yeah, I know what you it mean, just though. makes it's me... Like, yeah. anytime it's on telly, I will, I will just watch it. Whereas I feel like other films like I'll really love, but I have to be in the right mood to watch it. Whereas... Stardust was like one of the DVDs of like one of the only DVDs I took to university with me. Wow. Um, I think it was 2010, so DVDs were still relevant. <laughs> um, mine is Anastasia. It's like um, a cartoon. The Disney pro- one. The Disney one. It's not, no, it's not, it's not Disney. No, it's, it's not. It's like it Disney, but it's not. Yeah. I had the... You had the cat, the um, dog one. There was one about dogs or something or animals. No, there was a... CD and it was like part audiobook and part the songs and from music Anastasia. from Anastasia. And for some reason, I ended up with two copies of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really great. I love that I will film. dig through so the cupboard good. in my mom's house and, yeah. and then need it. And then you'll have to find a CD player to play it with. Yeah, I can do that. But yeah, yeah, it's I'll sell you one. Film. I've got one. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it's just about, I just love it. Like, I love the soundtrack. I love. Like the storyline, it's so easy to watch. It just reminds me of child. I feel like it's a common theme, but it reminds me of childhood. Like, yeah, With I love peppermint it. Perfume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Good. What's your favorite cookbook or one that you'd recommend? Oh, I can go first on this one. Mine would be um, Food for Free. It's a foraging guide. Um, I picked up in Waterstones like donkeys years ago, and it was like printed in the eighties and never really got changed or reprinted or anything. Um, I've got that one. Yeah, it's. I mean, I tip water all over mine, so I do need a new copy. But like, the sign it's of a good so, yeah, it's <laughs> so like informative, and it's got these like beautiful illustrations in it, and like it gives you all the different seasons of like what's available to forage. And I've just like I read it cover to cover and like learned so much from it. Um, I wrote that down. I'm gonna get that one. You should. And if you don't already have it, the flavor thesaurus, like that one. It's got a be- like a really nice color wheel on the front, and it tells you like flavor matching and like flavor profiles that one's just really useful like you it pairs stuff that you wouldn't ever think to pair like mushrooms and apricot like you would never think to do it but somehow it works but forage is food for free for chefs um the other one i said the flavor thesaurus which ones i think your ice cream one yeah there's a really great ice cream book so if you're into ice cream Mm. and you want or if if you've got an ice cream maker, for instance, <laughs> yeah. and you want to get your use out of it this summer, I'd say um, there's an ice cream book. I can't remember the name of it, but it's by Kitty Travers. And I think, oh, it's La, La Grotta Ices. That's it, yeah. And it's she, really brightly coloured and beautiful. It's the most luminous book. <laughs> and she um, is now like a small ice cream producer in London. Mm. And she um, sells little pots of ice cream to a couple of like different like delis and cafes and stuff. And um, she does like market stalls and stuff. And she is so in-depth and so enthusiastic about her recipes. And it's kind of like one of those gold books that you know that the recipe is going to work. Yeah. 
and, and like you, you get some really great well, like, it looks really like silly but yeah it's great. and you get some really great flavor combos that you wouldn't have thought of the great thing is that if you think you need all of these stabilizing ingredients that you've got written down from other kitchens and stuff like that. if you think you need these stabilizers and glucose or mm. trimaline or things like that to stop your ice cream icing up or stuff like that she does not use any of that she doesn't she uses fresh eggs she uses just like bog standard sugar you know casa sugar demerara whatever and still comes out with amazing recipes yeah. And she and does this great thing of like, I've noticed chefs starting to do it more where they'll put a weird ingredient in and then be like, but if you can't get your hands on it, here's an alternative. Mm. And I love yeah. that. Yeah, and then popular. so there'll be like a mulberry sorbet <laughs> um, recipe because it's got a story behind it. Like every summer they have like quite a short window. But then like loads of the chefs. They'll go to the same one. Same place in Kent because yeah. it's like not actually that far away. Um, but they all grow because there's lovely sunshine. And then they'll finally get a day off so they can go and like harvest loads. And it's like one of those things that has like a wonderful, really short window of a year that you can have this great flavour. And she'll be very much like, for instance, she won't have a cherry ice cream on the thing because she says that any great cherries should not be wasted in ice cream because they'll lose their flavour. So buy these ones that are super sour but because you're adding sugar and cream and stuff to them, it'll be great. And she'll do loads of like alternative ideas. Like if you haven't got mulberries, you can also use blackberries in this time of year or, mm. you know, raspberries, but add more sugar or things like that. Yeah, I just really like her weird and wonderful. Like you read your book, be- you read the book because it's interesting yeah. as well, I find. Um, and it's one of those ones you definitely read it and want to make every single flavour. Yeah. So I want to make choc ices because of it. Yeah. I'm like obsessed with it. I'm like, Sarah, when are we making choc ices? When are we doing choc ices? Like literally obsessed. <laughs> yeah, she's very much obsessed with choc ices. But yeah, no, ice cream just is my absolute favourite and it makes me really happy. <laughs> you're talking to people on board with that. <laughs> All over so, I've been looking up ice cream machines at the moment. I have no idea which one to buy. I know got, I want um, to buy one that nin- just does it all. One. The ninja one. It's like, um, if you ever heard I've of... seen that one come up. I didn't know where to get oh, that. Oh, it's so good. Is it? it's... For, for the chefs out there, it's uh, like a pack of jet, but £199. Not £1,200. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's, it's great... Um, it's all, always it's, out of stock, though. If you've got an ice cream machine and you use it, but you're always struggling to find space for the bowl to freeze overnight, um, what's great about it is that actually you just make your custard or your sorbet base and you put it in these little pots. They're about uh, 600 grams. 600 ml. 600 ml um, pots, and then you freeze those overnight and then you put it into it and it's got a sorbet ice cream setting, whatever, and you put it into there and it churns it down and then back up again and then you can also if your ice cream is too hard you can put it in and it just re-spins in it'll just go through once and then you've got this lovely um ice cream with the correct consistency Mm. like it's not really loose like when you find first take it out of an ice cream like maker and stuff like that so it's great and the pots are only 600 ml so it's like only a little bit bigger than like your ben and jerry's tub so you can and they come with lids so you can like put them put in, them in the your freezer, freezer like you would do mm. with your normal food shop. And just one more. What's your favourite food city in the world? Obviously, aside from Birmingham. Ooh, I think Leeds. Like, I, I don't really do city breaks that often. Mm. But, like, we went to Leeds recently and everything we ate was great. 
like there was just so many options and it was affordable and like we went to this great restaurant called Fint that um is like sort of Scandi and kind of did brunch in the daytime and dinner in the evening. You say in the UK or in the world? Anywhere you want. You oh, pick. I don't know. Because I was older and I knew where to look for. I had we had some really amazing food when we went to Barcelona. Oh yeah, um, Barcelona is good. Which is really great. But then when I was like eighteen, I went to Lyon, and like I really wish I really want to go back. Like when I'm not backpacking and have no money. <laughs> to yeah, eat to some actually more eat. Food. But just because, like, I think the sort of like the way of life. Like for people living there, like there's so much more. Like, it's much more casual. Like everyone's just eating food because because it, yeah. it's part of like it's mm. it's more it's more of like your um yeah just what people do, which I think you know the UK is catching up on now. But um and also like there's just like an inc- incredible bakeries mm. in both of those places that are just like base level brilliant. Mm. and then get better whereas i think with you know us we've got like greg's <laughs> we've got a long way to catch up to the european sort of yeah, bakery level. like the copenhagen ones are so good yeah, i went to lil on a it's a strange place for a stag do but we went to lil on a stag do <laughs> and the bakers were just like the normal yeah. priced ones mm. yeah absolutely phenomenal yeah just ridiculous yeah and i love a french bakery yeah and in barcelona like as long you, you know, you get like croissants and pan au chocolat, and and they, there was always apple flavored mm. things, mm. and which I felt like that's you know over here if if you go to like a proper bakery, that'll be like the special, but then next mm. week there won't be apple, there'll be something else, and it's just like as someone who will always pick the apple option. You ever have the brioche from early bird, the uh, custard? Custard. You talk about that quite frequently, actually. It's off the menu now. If if that's on, I don't even look at anything else. I love the uh, Queen of Man from there. They've done a Biscoff one recently, but I Mm. I really like the apple one. But they, yeah, they don't do that one anymore. Because they've done both Bramley Apple and Granny Smith Smith, Mm. with the vanilla custard. But I'd say a close second is the almond custard with the cherry jam. Yeah. I love it. I love all cherry. Have you been um, Levanon? Yeah, it's uh, like just around the corner from where I live in King's Heathland. Yeah, I go more often now. Yeah. It's just like it's just a queue that kills it. There. <laughs> the oh, see, you want to work in hospitality yeah, yeah. and you want to not work on a Wednesday because yeah. that's when I go to all of these great places and never <laughs> queue. <laughs> yes. Yeah, when you go to early bird and there's actually like a full place, you're like, what? Yeah, kind of, it's not Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? why are you fully like, why are you full on a Wednesday? This is my time to be here. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I um, yeah, I really started like going it. to Levan and Cherry like during lockdown when he was like offering out of his kitchen window. Mm. <laughs> I um, remember that. <laughs> that was yeah, that was yeah. good. Yeah, no, he um, yeah, I like the the bread because always like there's always one with like one million seeds in. Yeah, and I love. That. I like that he offers. I'm sure he does, but he does like sourdough, but also not sourdough baguettes. Yeah. And I'm like, I prefer a non-sourdough baguette. I'm like a bit basic in all of my food taste. Like I'm just like not bothered by a sourdough one. Like I'm like, give me sometimes they're just too many cap. Like yeah, too much holes. Like you can't get enough mustard and ham on it. So like, what's the point? So <laughs> me and Chloe love a hamburger. <laughs> we got mildly obsessed to like hamburgers and McCoys. Awesome. Yeah, we could. I feel like we could stay and chat for ages. Right? Yeah, we're gonna get kicked out of there in a second. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks um, yeah, so much for being on here. Thanks yeah, for having us. Loved it. Good. Yeah, we've enjoyed doing it. <laughs>